And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my friend Alex Sears. It's always a great time talking to Alec. A uh, really smart guy. Uh, I always enjoy talking to him. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. We kind of avoided the uh, the News of the Week stuff, and we kind of did a deep dive on on the uh, the crisis of identity that we're seeing right now within the conservative movement and the different factions uh, uh, within the conservative movement right now and, and how that tends to lead to... Uh, the rise of uh, grifters <laughs> that we're seeing a lot of. We saw a lot of this over, over the weekend. So uh, before we get to Alec, uh, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Alex Sears. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Alex Sears. Alec, how you doing? Doing well. Can I say Merry Christmas to you, Brady, and to all your listeners? Merry Christmas, my friend. Um, so I, I wanted to have you on the show today uh, because we've talked, it seems like we talk about this subject anytime you're on the show, and, and I've talked certainly a ton on the show about the, the steady stream of grift <laughs> on the right. Um, and let's, let's talk about that what we saw over the weekend, man, there's the grifters are out in force, uh, on the right. Unfortunately, once again, um, you know, we all remember the the listeners of the show, remember Kim Klasick. She was on the show back, uh, over the summer. Um, she's the woman for anybody who forgets. She ran for Congress in Baltimore, um, ended up getting blown out obviously because it's Baltimore, but she spoke at the RNC and, and gained this huge Twitter following and everything. Well, she decided to go on a, a super racist, uh, Twitter rant over the weekend about how apparently, she believes Chinese people are bad or something. Um, the, the tweet that really blew up, she said, uh, quote, Mitch McConnell's wife is Chinese. I just post the facts, unquote. We wouldn't actually know, obviously. Uh, Elaine Chao is, is from Taiwan, which is not China. And also, you're super racist. So, and then also over the weekend, uh, Turning Point USA had some kind of conference of some kind somewhere. Didn't look into it too heavily. But um, I- instead of promoting conservative ideology, the uh, the Turning Point folks had a bunch of girls walk on stage wearing nothing to shoot money at the audience with a T-shirt cannon. So, <laughs> before, so the point of the show is I have some theories, some big picture stuff about why this happening, why these things keep happening. But before we get to that, your thoughts on what we saw over the weekend? Yikes! Yeah, it was really just a just a hodgepodge of everybody trying to clamber um, to the top of the the trash pile. Um, and before we go any further, I, I think we should define what a grifter is because some people um, tend to not get you know, a good solid definition. The definition that, that I go by and I think that, that most people operate with is a grifter, at least in politics, would be someone who is using um, their chosen movement. So, I mean, you can have grifters on the left, you can have grifters on the right. So for the, the ones that would outrageous to us would obviously be the grifters on the right um so they would be using the conservative movement 
for their own personal gain, whether that be, you know, monetary gain, personal wealth, or 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 fame. They're they're in it just to to raise their own profile, or it's just like a, a you know an ego trip. Um, they're not in it to be like a team player. They're not in it to actually, you know, push forward the conservative agenda and and champion conservative values. Um, they are they are using those things in order to meet their end goal, which is to put themselves on top. That's that's kind of how I define a grifter in the conservative movement. And we have seen that be the case with a lot of these pundits recently that have come up in the age of Trump and even, uh, you know, people who are running for office, like we said, Kim Klasik. Um, so let's let's talk about Kim Klasik first, because, um, yeah, just a huge, crazy. I mean, she kind of went off on this whole rant, uh, you know, on on you know, Chinese people making making no distinction between, you know, the people of China and the Chinese Communist Party, which I myself have, have fallen prey, prey to that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, saying that Elaine Chao is Chinese when actually, I mean, she's an American citizen born in Massachusetts. Her family is from Taiwan, which is not China, you know, obviously. <laughs> so not only are you, you know, racist, you're also factually incorrect. And a lot of people forget Elaine Chao is Mitch McConnell's wife. And that is not the person you want to be going after. You know, Mitch McConnell, I know pre-2016, you know, a lot of people said he was like a swamp creature, swamp monster. I mean, after the four years of the Trump presidency, when Mitch McConnell was literally like pushing through every single Trump agenda, every single Trump judge, like clean slate, just absolutely rammed them through the Senate. It was incredible to watch. He is a master of the Senate. Yeah, real health. quick, real, real quick. Sorry to cut you off, man. I want to get back to what you're saying about Kim Klasik, but just a side note on Mitch McConnell. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure she tweeted this as an attack on Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is real weird. I mean, Kim Klasik, she claims to be this like big, you know, Trumpster person, and I mean, Elaine Chao is Donald Trump's current Secretary of Transportation, by the way. Yeah. Like, she's in the cabinet. But like, yeah, like, like you mentioned, going after. Mitch McConnell is a swamp creature or whatever. Like, Mitch McConnell might be the most important Republican since, like, at least Ronald Reagan. I mean, he's he's the reason why Donald Trump was elected. If he didn't have the balls to hold off Merrick Garland, a vote on Merrick Garland, and really just activate the conservative base to come out and vote in 2016, Donald Trump loses. Okay, and then he obviously rammed through uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh and a, a lesser majority, Senate majority leader would have bailed on him. I think anybody, any if any other Republican was Senate Majority Leader, they wouldn't be able to get Amy, Amy Coney Barrett done before the election. Okay, I mean, this guy, I mean, not to mention getting the tax cuts passed. I mean, he's been Donald Trump's biggest ally, so the attack on McConnell makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and so getting back to, to um, you know, Kim Klasik, she, um, you know, was running, obviously, for office in Baltimore, got absolutely creamed by over 40 points. And, you know, all, all of these people who don't understand, you know, election math or and they I call them, you know, like armchair politicos because they just sit in their armchair on Twitter and they see someone who's like, oh, hey, this person, you know, says conservative values and they're kind of from an area or they're the kind of person that wouldn't necessarily, you know, have conservative values. I'm going to support them. 
And you, we saw folks like, I mean, we see folks like Charlie Kirk taking advantage of this. We've seen folks like Candace Owens taking advantage of this and Kimberly Clasic, definitely. And then, you know, you know, millions and millions of dollars are poured in to help them in their race and a district that is already, you know, plus 40 towards the Dems. So it's an unwinnable district that we're just wasting millions of dollars, you know, that could be right now being used to help the Georgia Senate runoff. Yeah. And Kim Clay is just holding that cash. Like, yeah. she, and she even, even after she lost, she was like, oh, we have evidence of a voter fraud in Baltimore. Donate to me and we'll start an investigation. She got even more donations, not a single dollar of which has been sent. Not a single investigation has been started. She's just holding all of that cash. She lost by 43 points. I mean, come on, man. If you're going to raise money to help get Republicans elected, but, I mean, come on. I mean, Come on, lady, you lost by 43. I mean, we have two senators in a brutal re-election fight right now. I mean, look, and to Turning Port USA, you see a lot of other young conservative groups, you know, YAF, YAL. I mean, they're out in Georgia making phone calls, knocking doors in force, trying to re-elect Leffler and Purdue. What was Turning Point USA doing? Like, what was, what, what the heck was this ridiculous event? I mean, they had just, like, you know, cute girls wearing nothing, shooting money into the crowd. Like, what, like... What like what 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 do they even claim to be accomplishing at this point? Honestly, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Um, I mean, if I was you know running that conference, I would have a entire massive room dedicated, and I would get phones in there, and I would have a call center set up during the conference where any student who wanted to could walk in there and volunteer and make calls in Georgia, because you have a captive audience. Yes. That of Turning Point probably claims like four thousand. They always. They always are officially inflate their numbers, but you have this captive audience of people who are politically, you know, inclined to be there because they say it's a conservative, you know, it's a conservative conference, though I would honestly say most of the students are probably there just to see their friends get drunk and enjoy Florida um, rather than actually, you know, spend time trying to develop their conservative ideals because you're not going to do that at a turning point conference. But if I was running that, I would have a phone bank set up with hundreds of phones and any student who wanted to could walk in there and in minutes be connected to a Georgia voter. It's it's ridiculously easy. And if you guys want to do that at home, talk.gop. Type that into to your URL and you can start making calls to Georgia in minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, would it have killed them to hold the conference in Georgia? I mean, just the next state over. Yikes. And, I, and you know, I, I got into it with a couple of Turning Point folks, you know, a couple of weeks ago because uh, after the election, because they were taking, you know, all sorts of credit for races that they really shouldn't have. I mean, they, they claim to be like the youth arm of the Republican Party, and they participated in door knocking in 16 races, 16 congressional oh, races. On. And almost all of them were in safe red districts. Ugh. And My I think goodness. only one of them was a seat that we flipped, and it was I that was first. So if they want to take credit for that one, I'll give it to them. But there are, you know, 11 others that they, you know, absolutely dropped the ball. And to say, and I mean, all of Congress was up for re-election. So to say, you know, you, you worked on 11, 12 races out of, you know, the hundreds that were out there and then you go on and claim that you are the youth wing of the republican party the unofficial youth wing of the republican party it is a complete farce they spent you know two days in georgia charlie kirk spent like an afternoon in georgia (laughs) 
Well, it's not like these Georgia races matter anyway. You know, it's just the future oh, of yeah, the it's Republic. Only the, Man. It's only, you know, whether or not we'll have a divided Congress or not and a Democratic administration. It's not important or anything. I get the grifters are always going to be there. Um, it goes back to, like, the old school carpetbaggers, right? <laughs> From, you know, like the 1800s and stuff. But, like, anytime a party... Here's my big picture. Bear with me here, you, Alec, and the entire audience. might take a while. <laughs> but here's my big picture take. Anytime a party loses an election, there is a, a leadership vacuum in the movement and in the party. And I don't even mean just politically speaking, just philosophically. And there's always big decisions to be made going forward. And we can get to some of the specific policies later if we have time. But I, I just mean more philosophically than, than individual policies. But I think... The divide on the right is actually much deeper than your basic, we lost an election, let's figure out what the heck we're doing moving forward. I think the divide is actually deeper than that. And I was listening to a podcast over the weekend, which I recommend. It was I, it was Jonah Goldberg's show, um, which I agree with Jonah on some stuff, and I fundamentally disagree with Jonah on a lot of stuff too. But he had a he was having a conversation with Matt Cottonetti from uh, Cottonetti from AEI, and they were talking about the roots of like the modern American conservative movement, going back to the Eisenhower years and the you know the the draft Barry Goldwater movement, um, which ultimately led to to Ronald Reagan. You know, sixteen years later, obviously, and Cottonetti brought up a good point that one one the maybe the only thing that held the conservative movement together since its inception was anti-statism. Okay, whether you're talking about the libertarians, the the National Review, Bill Buckley types, even the the neoconservatives of the 60s and 70s. And I don't mean what, you know, how people use the term neocon now, that people just mean like warhawk or something. But I mean the actual neoconservatives of the 60s and 70s which were left-wingers that kind of became more moderate and left the Democratic Party and joined the Republican Party. So, but all of these different groups had the fundamental philosophy of anti-statism as, as one of their core values. And I don't think that's the truth anymore, and that's a big problem. And, and like, let me explain. I know my fellow libertarians, it's it'll be painful for them to hear this, but as wrong as I think, you know, let's, Dan Crenshaw is on the Middle East, and I do think he's wrong about most things on the Middle East, I, I believe he holds enough anti-statist beliefs that he and I can can coexist happily in the same movement. However... A lot of young conservatives are Keynesians, right? They're they're not conservative at all uh, on economics. I mean, look no further than somebody like Tucker Carlson, right? A lot of young conservatives want to nationalize big tech. They want to nationalize Facebook, right? Because they think that Facebook's unfair to conservatives. They want to make porn illegal, right? <laughs> you know, like you can't be anti-statist and want to grow the size and scope of the federal government. Okay, like these people have actually abandoned. Free market economics. They've 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 abandoned anti-statist policies, and and they want to use for, government force to enforce like you know social conservative values or something like that. So I think when part of the movement, especially younger conservatives, have completely abandoned the one thing that held the conservative movement together for the last fifty years, I think that's the foundation of the crisis of identity that we're seeing. And and when you have a crisis of identity, it's a lot easier for when the movement doesn't hold fast to those tried and true principles, like in, in I'm specifically talking about anti-statism, it's a lot easier for grifters to rise up. So I don't know. What do you think about my diagnosis? Do you agree or disagree? I I tend to agree. Um, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, even a lot of friends of mine and, and folks who I think would kind of 
say that they themselves would be quote unquote wartime conservatives. Wartime conservative is just another name for a big government conservative. It's right. the same thing. Right. You are a big government conservative. And honestly, the the small government conservatives are few and far between these days. And that is, uh, I mean, it's sad to see. And it and it, some of this can be laid at the feet of Trump. Honestly, I mean, I I think he was a good president. Uh, I think he didn't deserve, you know, even an ounce of of all of the horrible things that were thrown at him for four years. I think he could have gotten a lot more done if you know people were less hysterical. But, uh, I mean, a, a certain amount of the division in the party right now is his fault because, I mean, even the division between the people who are like, okay, Biden's going to be our president, let's figure out what we're going to do, you know, in opposition to, to some of his dumber things are completely separate. Like, the people who think that the election was stolen and that, you know, Trump is just going to call in the military and hold the presidency for another four years or, or longer or whatever, they're calling the people who are starting to plan for a Biden presidency to be, you know, like deserters or seditionists or, or whatever else. Like it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and, you know, Trump is kind of causing more of that split um, than, than he is the cause of, of the, the big government, small government conservatives. Um, but, you know, I, I can't say that I'm not looking forward to a time where, where that kind of calms down when when Joe Biden kind of officially settles into the presidency and and folks you know realize oh we're not going to renegotiate the 2020 election just like we didn't renegotiate the 2016 election like Biden is going to be our president what can we do now that is not absolutely you know crazy in opposition to his more progressive policies I mean we don't have to go to the to the crazy far far left you know hashtag resist you know, stuff that the left did during the Trump administration, we can show that we're better than that. The problem is, I don't think that, you know, the average conservative is going to. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and even aside from, and, and I agree with you, I think Donald Trump was a was a very effective president. I voted for him twice. I, you know, I endorsed him on this podcast, you know, but even past just the post-election shenanigans going on right now, like, Throughout, I mean, you saw it bubbling up occasionally throughout his presidency. Like, there are downsides to having a Republican president who is not a true believer in conservatism. And it's not even that Trump, I don't know, doesn't believe in conservatism. It's that he doesn't know anything about conservatism. Mm -hmm. And that is going to lead to issues, too. I mean, you saw it on, like, he just unilaterally banned bump stocks, right? <laughs> just a yeah. in blatant violation of, of the Second Amendment. And, you know, a lot, a lot of these things, you know, they— you know, due process later, take the guns now from mentally ill people. All this evil, evil stuff regarding the Second Amendment. It's not even that he he's anti-gun or anything. He just doesn't know anything. Like, he just doesn't, he hasn't thought through these issues. Like, people like you and I, we spend, we're up at night thinking through these issues. <laughs> That's why I don't sleep, man. I can't stop, you know, formulating opinions on these issues. You know what I mean? And a guy like Trump hasn't spent five seconds in his entire life reading a book on anything. And he's admitted that. He's admitted that he's written more books than he's read. Okay, so it's like uh, <laughs> th there is going to be a downside to that, you know. And it, you don't always need a true believer. Like, I, I don't think—I mean, certainly earlier in his life, and certainly when he was governor of California, like, Ronald Reagan was not a true believer in conservatism. He held a lot of lefty opinions. And uh, I think he became more of a true believer later on, but he was influenced by a lot of the people around him, you know. And 
you know, so I'm not saying you need, I mean, Barry Goldwater was a true conservative believer, right? And he got blown out. <laughs> you know, he lost like 45 states. So it's like sometimes, you know, like, you know, Rand Paul dropped out right after Iowa. You know, he ran for president. And most people don't remember that. So it's like, I'm not even saying you need to have this like true believer in conservatism to lead your party. I'm just saying there are going to be inherent downsides to having somebody in office who isn't. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, that that leaves open the gap for a lot of these these grifter types to move up, um, because when you don't have a true believer, someone who doesn't necessarily. Well, I mean, and and Trump was, you know, I mean, he's an absolute amateur at politics. This was his first public po- public office. Um, so when that happens, when there's a, a certain amount of 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 power vacuum, simply because he doesn't necessarily know you know, all the players and he doesn't know what the climate is in the movement. Uh, and he's relying on, on people who were able to change their, either their views or their position or their outlook to more closely match his in order to, to, you know, get close to Trump. Um, cough, cough, Charlie Kirk. Uh, he's, he's relying on those people who just kind of came out of the woodwork. Uh, the people who are, you know, willing to, to, lose some of their values in order to to gain proximity to power. Uh, those are the people who jumped up and in, in the movement. One more thing about Charlie Kirk before we move on. I, his actual tweets and where he'll, t- he'll tweet those like quotes of him saying something with him making a dumb face or whatever. And then like we will make we'll parody that and we'll like mm-hmm. make it even more ridiculous and nonsensical. Like the parody Charlie Kirk tweets are indistinguishable from his real tweets at this point. Like they're barely English, you know. It's just like throwing random words into a blender and spitting them out in a random order. Like I literally can't tell if it's like an Alex Sears meme making fun of Charlie <laughs> Kirk or if it's a real. Like I, I have to like read it twice to tell if it's a joke or not. Like it's it's that close to reality at this point. Uh, the uh, the Charlie Kirk tweets aren't meant for you. <laughs> Charlie Kirk tweets are meant for the. The 72-year-old yeah. who has deep pockets. That's who the Charlie yeah. Kirk tweets are meant for. Charlie's ne- nearly all of Turning Point and all of Charlie's public-facing content is not necessarily designed to reach the younger generation, no. especially their ad campaigns. You can go and look up any anyone who has a Facebook page, any group that has a Facebook page that runs ads on Facebook. You can go and look at their ads and you can go and look at who they're targeting. Every one of Turning Point's ads <laughs> is targeting the 65 plus demographic because yeah. they have the money. It's boomer material, man. Yeah, it's like they are really geared towards like people under the age of 16 or over the age of 70, and just really nothing in between. I and real quick, I do want to mention this, you know, because I get hate mail anytime I quote unquote punch right on the show, like anytime I just go after our side and not the other side. Like I'm saying this because I don't want what's happening right now on the left to happen on the right, okay? Like, mm-hmm. I'm noted, like this crisis of identity, I, I'm bringing this up because it's what's been happening on the left for several years now, and I don't want the same thing to happen to us. I mean, on the left, you know, the, the two pillars of, you know, the progressive movement for decades have been, first, you know, Keynesian economics, and second, social progressivism. And the left, many people on the left, obviously, have moved way past Keynes and em- embraced full-on Marxism. So that's obviously an identity crisis on the left. And and also since the beginning of the Obama years, leftist tactics have been focused on identity politics and more specifically just pandering to black Americans. And that doesn't make sense 
if you know the foundations of your movement is social progressivism because black americans are not that progressive socially and they're i mean if you look at polling data they're you know i'm not saying you know black americans are a monolith you know obviously but you know they tend to be one of the most socially conservative demographics in the country so it's like i'm watching this identity crisis on the left and i'm seeing the same thing happen i just don't want to fall into the same traps that they have been floundering in for years yeah that's that's exactly right and you know many many people have accused me of either just straight out not being a conservative or not being a team player because i'm going after conservatives and that's just you know it's it's not true. Like I am a staunch conservative fighting for conservative values, and I want the conservative movement to be as healthy and as effective as it possibly can, which is why I want to take out the trash. Yeah. Oh, of course. And that, yeah, I, I'd never understood that criticism from people on the right, man. Like, you know, oh, is isn't Rashida Tlaib even more racist than Kim Klasik and even dumber than Kim Klasik? And I, yeah, sure, sure, yes. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Ilhan Omar is just as racist, if not more so, than Kim Klasik. But Kim Klasik claims to be a part of our movement. I mean, it, it pisses me off more when they're in my house. You got to yeah. clean up your own house, man. Let Nancy Pelosi deal with Ilhan Omar. I don't really care what happens to them. They can all beat the crap out of each other. Who cares? It's not my problem. That's their problem. The conservative movement's my problem. It's my house, man. Of course it makes us angry when this happens on our side. 100%. One more thing. Uh, Regarding like the the future of the GOP or the future of the conservative movement, me and uh, Jim Garrity from National Review discussed this at length um, last week. But I wanted to get your opinion on this too, man. Um, I think obviously, and this is you know, let's just go down to actual tactics, actual policies, not so much like big picture philosophical stuff. I, I made the case, and and Jim actually, Jim's as establishment as it gets. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's proud of that. He he broadcast that openly, but he kind of agreed with me on the two points I made. I want to. Let me know if you agree with this and then what you would add to this list. And I, I was just coming up with a list of, of things that I believe, you know, just thinking about a post-Trump GOP and whenever that is. I mean, who knows? Trump could run for office again in, in 2024. I don't know. He probably will. But, you know, whenever he's off the stage, I think the two things that the GOP really needs to learn from the Trump presidency, first and foremost, Middle East policy. I think his foreign policy has been excellent. We have less troops in the Middle East than we had four years ago. He's drawing down the, 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 the troop levels in Afghanistan and Syria. Obviously, he's thrown out the ridiculous decades-long conventional wisdom on, on the, the Israel-Palestinian conflict, um, and he's backing Israel, which is you know our, probably our closest ally on planet Earth. I think all that's been terrific. So the GOP cannot go back to the Bush-Obama foreign policy they need to run with trump's foreign policy in my opinion and then the second thing that the gop needs to you they cannot go back to the romney mccain years and that is the gop's relationship to the press i think trump absolutely nailed this the press is our enemy uh they're never going to give a republican a fair shake they will call any republican a nazi you should treat the press with scorn you should mock them you should laugh at them you should cast them aside you should be focused on destroying the corporate press so i think those in terms of Middle East policy and just the just generally a conservative's relationship to the press. Those are two things that the GOP cannot regress. No, it's like they need to take that mantle, take that torch from Trump and run with it on both of those issues. Do you agree? And uh, what else would you add to the list? Like what, what, what are things that the GOP can learn from the Trump moment? Uh, I definitely agree, um, especially on the, the Middle East thing. Um, I mean, Trump decimated the caliphate in yeah. three years. Like, yeah. I mean, you you haven't heard a thing. I mean, it was uh, really like a year and a half. I mean, it, yeah, didn't, it didn't take very long. 
it was impressive and then and then so they went on and did that and then they just didn't talk about it so so the number three that i will add to your list is because of point number two that we need to you know be dismantling the the corporate press point number three trumpet your victories like from the rooftops constantly just like i mean like a do a victory lap and then take a second one and then a week later think about doing a third (laughs) because no one else is going to do it for you yeah i mean pat yourself on the back i mean don't you know you don't have to be a butthole about it but no one else is going to do it for you especially in this media climate yeah so we have to make our victories known as much as possible and as loudly as possible or else we will get absolutely killed because the coverage of conservatives will like you said and point number two just be constantly negative yeah i think you're absolutely right and honestly i think that's something that trump obviously did more than previous republican presidents but Honestly, I think that's something Trump didn't do enough of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think especially in his reelection campaign, that should have been or, all he was talking about was his achievements because there was a lot of them. Yeah, he didn't do enough of it, and he tried to trumpet. You know, he tried to to hold up the wrong achievements as well right. on uh, a lot of times. I mean, if he had just stuck to you know the the judges, the the tax cuts, the the Middle East peace deals, and decimating the caliphate. And, and, you know, his jobs numbers, which are absolutely incredible pre-coronavirus, uh, it, it would have been a lot smoother sailing. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. Um, I, there's a couple other things I wanted to get to, but I'm going to skip it because we're running out of time and I want to get to the real important issue of the week. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of really uh, dumb Star Wars opinions on Twitter.com <laughs> uh, over the weekend, man. And uh, people really enjoy being wrong. Um, so there's a, this happens like once a year, just Twitter collectively does this once a year for some reason. I don't really know why, but so everybody's giving their, their rankings of star Wars movies. Um, and I, I just don't understand a lot of them. So I'll, I'll give you a second to think about yours, but I, this is how I would rank the star Wars franchise. Number one, empire strikes back. I think that's general consensus at this point. Number two, I'd go Mandalorian. I'd put Mandalorian all the way up at number two. It's just tremendous. Mm -hmm. I've loved every single second of it. Uh, and then I go Return of the Jedi, New Hope, Revenge of the Sith, Clones, Phantom Menace, Rogue One, Force Awakens, and Last Jedi, bringing up the rear. And I will admit, I have not watched Solo or The Rise of Skywalker yet because I was scarred so badly by The Last Jedi. I, legitimately, that was one of the worst movies. And I don't just mean the worst Star Wars movies. That was one of the most worst movies I've ever seen. I mean, between the uh, Finn's completely unnecessary girlfriend that just took up space throughout that monstrosity of a three-hour-long movie, or like the the 90-minute-long Casino Planet scene about the evils of capitalism. I mean, just a real just trash heap. So uh, I can't really rank the Solo or Rise of Skywalker because I haven't seen it yet. I'll get around to it when, when I'm feeling just emotionally up up to it because I'm sure they're both bad. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't, what, what, what do you think, man? First critique uh, my rankings and then give me yours. You know what? I I was surprised to see that you have Return of the Jedi over New Hope. I think that might be uh that might be the only one of the only flaws in in your judgment. And and also I would I personally would place Phantom Menace a little bit higher up um when it comes to the prequels. But, over over Attack of the Clones, I'm guessing. Um yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's just the it's just the pod racing. Is why Honestly, it's so low. it really like that, is. That's kind of the only. I mean, the movie's great, except for that. 
I mean, it's literally like 40 minutes long of pod racing. Right. Well, no, I like the pod racing. Really? Yeah. That's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as, as as for my ranking, I think I, I think I have A New Hope is number one. Okay. Uh, Empire Strikes Back number two. Uh, number three, honestly, shaking it up a little bit. I might have Rogue One. It has Rogue, its Rogue issues. One was good. It has its, it has its issues. I enjoyed it, but honestly, great movie. Over Mandalorian, and I know Mandalorian doesn't. Oh, really I, count, I, I, yeah, yeah, but... I haven't realized Mandalorian sits above most things, but yeah. it's not technically a movie, so I'm I'm not including it in mine. And then so, uh, and then it's it's Return of the Jedi, at number four, and then number five is gonna be. Um, oh, it's probably gonna be Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Clone Wars, and then it's Force Awakens, Return of Skywalker, and Last Jedi. Last Jedi is at the bottom of the barrel. It doesn't even deserve to be on the list. It's bad, and and I'm not even gonna include Solo because it was kind of boring and not that great. So whatever. The only good part of that was Donald Glover's Lando Calrissian, and. Yeah, we'll call it a day. Also, if you haven't, go watch The Mandalorian because it's phenomenal. It's the best Star Wars content we've had since the original series came out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Mandalorian. Like, can you imagine being the guys, the just the jackasses that wrote the awful three reboot movies and then watching Mandalorian and then realizing <laughs> that they were just like, they were just so wrong about what people wanted. Like, they were just like oh, yeah. 180 degrees wrong about what everybody wanted. Yeah, John Favreau kind of put the smackdown on, on J.J. Uh, Abrams. Like John Favreau should be given all the movies to direct now. Like he did a great job with Marvel, um, and and now he's doing. And Dave Filoni too uh, deserves a lot of that credit. But honestly, just give anything Star Wars related to them. Don't give it to George. Don't give it to Kathleen Kennedy. Just those two. Let them go with it. Sure, they'll put some fan servicey things in there because they're fans themselves. But they will carry the torch proudly and 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 not be stupid about it yeah i mean i don't even think i mean after that beat down man i don't even know if jj abrams can make another movie i mean it's like i mean to put it in like football terms i, I can't remember are you even like a sports fan man mm, uh... Uh, all right you're not even gonna get my reference but everybody <laughs> else will it's like when derrick henry will stiff arm a, a db like into the next county over and it's like that guy can't even like go home and like look his wife in the eye that night. Like that's that should be J.J. Abrams after watching Mandalorian. He should be just disgraced and cast out of polite society. Yeah, honestly, I mean he did a pretty good job. I felt with Star Trek, and and I like Super Eight, even though it was literally like a remake of E.T. But I mean that's that's kind of it from J.J. Abrams. Dude, you want to hear something weird? I've never watched anything related to Star Trek ever. Oh, you know, it's 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 worth it. Give no, I mean, I'd love it. I like I haven't I like I know I'd like it. I mean, I like sci-fi stuff and but I just don't want to like go down that like I don't have the time. I mean, I will eventually, but like if I started watching Star Trek, I'd watch all of it and like yeah, I can't it's take a like a month off of life to watch all that content. It's just too much. It's okay to just watch like the most recent newest like three movies. And I mean, they're 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 fine. Like it's they're nothing special, but they're fine. I did the same thing with like uh I I took a break. I know I've talked about this on the podcast before. I but I've taken a break from Marvel stuff for a while, mm-hmm. with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy because it's just too funny and awesome to not watch. But like I just like I missed a few movies in a row, like just on tour with the band or something back like five years ago, and then yeah. they crank out movies so fast that once you're a few and you have to watch all of them or you don't know what's going on. 
Yeah. And like I missed like four, five, six movies, and it's like I mean they crank them out like every Thursday, so it's like I mean I can't watch like twenty five movies to like catch up and then watch Endgame. You know what I mean? Like I I do not want to put that much time into it. So like in like ten years I'll just sit down like one summer and just watch like everything or something. But like yeah. it was just it was overwhelming, man. There's too many movies, and most of them are bad. Like I know the Avengers <laughs> ones are good. Like I know like the most recent Avengers. I know they're good. Everybody tells me they're awesome, and I trust you guys. But it's like I don't want to sit through like freaking Iron Man 12. You know what I mean? It's like I get it. Like Robert Downey Jr. making bad jokes and shit like for three hours. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't want to sit through that to get to the good stuff. If that makes sense. Yeah, there's a few you could probably skip, but as a whole, it was you know I'm it's they're fine. <laughs> Alec, my brother, thanks for doing this, man. It's always a good time. Uh, anytime you're on the show, where can everybody uh, follow you online and uh, keep in touch and all that good stuff? Yeah, Brady, thank you for having me. Pleasure as always. If you guys want to look me up, you can find me on Twitter at Alec underscore Sears. Everybody follow Alec. He's great. Uh, that's all I got for today. I am off on Wednesday, so I will be back on Monday. No gimmicks. <laughs>